Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey everybody, this is Aaron. As part of the 44th International Seattle Film Festival, I have the opportunity to sit down with directors or actors occasionally. What you're about to hear is a conversation between myself and director Bart Layton regarding his new film, American Animals. Bart has previously only done documentaries, uh, one of which is a stellar, stellar film called The Imposter that is a stranger-than-fiction tale about a young man who is found in Spain. He's a Frenchman, but he assumes the identity of a missing Texas teenager. And the story goes in all kinds of directions that you would not believe. I implore you to seek it out. It is an incredible piece of filmmaking, and the story itself is wildly amazing as well. It's worth watching for sure. And it put Bart on my radar. Now, his latest film, American Animals, is about four young men in college in Kentucky who get into a little bit of a rut. Their lives are too easy. They want to spice things up a bit, and they've watched too many movies. So they decide to attempt one of the most audacious heists in U.S. history, stealing rare art and books from a local university library. This is also a stranger-than-fiction tale. It goes in crazy directions. It is very well acted. It, it's a wonderful, wonderful film. And let's hear what Bart has to say about it now. So is this your first time in Seattle? Second, actually. I was here with a, another movie about five years ago, a movie called The Imposter. The Imposter? Yeah. yeah. Perfect, because I was going to bring that up. So this is your first narrative feature film, but feel like with The Imposter... And now this, it's almost been like a natural progression of this storytelling style that you use where you've kind of taken a more dramatic look at how documentaries can be made. How did you ever come up with the inspiration for that? Like, where did that come from? I think the starting point is always like, what is the best way to tell this particular story? You know, with The Imposter, that was a story that is so outlandish you know it's so preposterous in terms of you know I think that was probably the most extraordinary true story I'd ever come across and the problem with it was and interestingly you know after I made the film which was really a documentary about had these sort of film noir sort of mm -hmm. elements to, you know a lot of people there was a huge bidding war about like the remake rights and all the rest of it and it still hasn't happened because the problem with it is that it's so bonkers that if you made it as a f work of fiction, people wouldn't really believe it. Right. And I think, you know, so... so, And a lot of people ask, well, why didn't you just make it as a sort of straight narrative? And I think the reason was that, because I think there's something about seeing the real people, looking them in the eyes, and, and getting that emotional response, which I think is very different from, you know, if you're watching a, uh, you know, a scripted thing. With this film, it was also a kind of unbelievable stranger than fiction true story but I think the thing about it was that it lent itself brilliantly to you know it's a heist movie you know yeah. it wants to be a narrative as a documentary it would be much less fun I guess oh, and, it and, it, and it would be a much smaller movie frankly <laughs> and there was something about but at the same time it felt to me like there's a way of maybe thinking about a new design or a new way of t of telling a true story that you haven't really seen before, 
one that is definitely not a documentary, but it's not just a total kind of Hollywood fiction mm -hmm. version of it, where the idea is that the audience are kind of constantly aware and reminded that this really happened. And so the real guys are in the movie in a way that I think people won't really have seen before. And I think the, the effect of it, and certainly this was the intention, is that your emotional uh, connection to the story, your investment in them as characters changes because you don't just do that thing of going off into movie world where you know, we, we, su we suspend disbelief and we don't really, you know, the consequences of the character's actions don't really affect us. Whereas right. when you watch this, you're really in it. You're absolutely like part of the whole experience. It is. And that's, that is really the most fascinating thing about it. And I felt like it was that normal, it's like a progression of the imposter because in the imposter you have Bourdain, you know, yeah. intermingle, but you also have an actor who's playing Bourdain exactly, yeah. uh, in earlier you know, times of the story, but that part of American Animals is, is incredible. Just having the real-life perpetrators intermingling with interviews, and, and even in the acting bits at times. The heist, though, is pretty incredible. So we have those, those four board college kids that try to steal rare art and books, which is wild. How did you find out about that story where did you discover it? I literally just read about it in a magazine on really? an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it was, I think I was even possibly on my way to or from Sundance with the imposter. So it was a long time ago. It was like five years ago. And Could they have still been in prison? They were. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they were. You know, it's a bit of a spoiler, but they were in a, it were deep into, no, I mean, they were. I feel like if you can Google yeah. it, it's probably not a spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. It's not, but, you know, and I think it doesn't take long to realize that they're probably it's probably not going to go to plan, and um, I wrote to the to the to the four guys who were serving this pretty long prison sentence at this time, and it was the letters that came back which became the sort of the starting point for the script. And at the time, there was actually another option. Someone, had a, you know, a big Hollywood producer had come along and paid for the life rights and the rights to the article. So it didn't look like we would actually even be able to make the film. But we kind of kept in touch and we kept writing these letters back and forth. And the things that they said in the letters were so unexpected, you know, because they weren't the usual suspects of, right, of, of in terms of when you think about art theft. I actually feel weird calling them criminals when yeah. I reference them because they seem like regular guys. Totally. You know, I think, you know, they are criminals because they committed a crime, but actually... They'd never done anything criminal before. I think they got lost in a kind of, like a kind of movie fantasy. You know, can you, could we plan the perfect robbery and could we get away with it? And it, that idea just went way, way, way too far. But a lot of what they wrote about in their letters about why, the why they did it, which was not always, not just about the money, it was about other things. You know, one of them talked about, you know, wanting to become an artist but feeling that the thing that united all the great artists that had ever lived was that they'd all had some tragedy or suffering Somewhere. in their lives, you know, and that he, and that he, this guy, his life was sort of too perfect, too nice. And whilst it seems like a ridiculous thing to complain about, the idea that you've got a central character whose sort of main problem is that he doesn't really have a problem, but he goes out to find <laughs> to one find that's going to completely screw his life up, turn everything upside down and give him, you know, a story to tell or an experience of life. It just felt like kind of a 
a story of time in a way, you know, this idea of the pressure to be interesting or to be special or to be Very extraordinary much. in some way. So, <laughs> speaking of extraordinary, the line in the movie, there's a, there's a part in the film where they're mentioning Reservoir Dogs, and I kept thinking to myself, do they know how this movie ends? Because <laughs> they're constantly referencing pop culture, which I love, and I think most audiences are going to just incredibly enjoy because you can relate to that. But did did these guys really plan this based on watching movies? Absolutely. You okay. know, that is the amazing thing about it. Most of the, you know, I would say almost everything in the film is completely true to what happened. There's not, you know, I haven't taken masses of artistic license of course you know when you dramatize something you write dialogue and all of the real guys have seen it and all agreed that it was very true to what happened and to their experience and so yeah they weren't real criminals in the sense that they knew what they were doing so they would watch heist movies and try and get inspiration from that and the irony being that most of those movies don't end well. Right. Maybe they didn't make it that far. Yeah, that, yeah. that really cracked me up. One of the other key aspects of your film is seems to be exploring these different perspectives of the heist from, from its participants, and it's got this unreliable narrator thought to it. At one point, Warren even says, I guess you just have to take my word for it, and I found that particularly poignant. How was the process of writing it, considering that at least it appears the guys remembered things very differently? Yeah, it's challenging that because... I guess you're faced with the, you know, if you sit down and you get two conflicting versions, I mean, you know, if you've seen The Imposter, this was a big, partly what the whole film was about in a way, you know, different versions of, of the same events and trying to figure out which is true. With this, if you're faced with two versions of the same scene, but they are basically remembered completely different, you know, you're either choosing one because it's, going to be more dramatic or it's more cinematic location or whatever it is and in the end I end up thinking well maybe the thing to do is make a virtue of the fact that their accounts don't always add up and so you you know there are moments in the film where we dramatize both versions you know there's one conversation that happens across two different locations Mm -hmm. you know there's a moment where the actor playing the real guy turns to the real guy and asks him if this is how he remembered it and the real guys are all like well not exactly to be honest you know and the idea is that you're kind of almost inviting the audience into the whole into the game of like you know we all know that when we go to the movies and it says based on a true story you know we're we're willing to go along with the ride despite knowing that Natalie Portman's not Jackie Kennedy or Michelle Williams is not Marilyn Monroe you know but we will go with it whereas with this it was more about saying no, this really did happen. And these are not just kind of unreliable narrators at times, but memory itself can be unreliable. You know, we yeah. think of it as this very kind of accurate document of stuff that's happened, and often it's it's really not. Especially when it's something traumatic that has affected it. Yeah. Um, I love the scenes with the actual, again, criminals, perpetrators. I try to find a different I feel weird calling them criminals, where they're working with the actors. How'd that go for you? Was there any weirdness between the actors and the real-life guys? And then also, specifically around the interviews, was any of the interview stuff scripted, or is that, like, right off the... the are no, those very genuine? All, yeah, all of this stuff in the... I mean, there was... I've written the script with based on the letters they had sent, and then we obviously weren't able to shoot with the real guys until they came out of prison. And a lot of what they said was what they had put in their letters but a lot of it was very different and part of me which was really wanted them to kind of put 
to you know to to describe the things that exactly as they'd said in the letters and exactly as I'd put them in the screenplay, and they didn't because real life isn't always won't be you know certainly can't be scripted. And, and the last thing you want to do with a real contributor is try and turn them into an actor by giving them lines or whatever mm-hmm. because it just doesn't work and it, you lose the authenticity which is the kind of the really amazing thing about having the real guys in, in the film so so then we just sort of went back to the beginning and we we did it in a very kind of start to finish just as you would a normal kind of documentary interview and the actors didn't have you know they had access to some of the footage of the real guys they didn't really I didn't want them to spend a lot of time with the real guys because Real guys were 10 years older. Most of that 10 years had been spent in prison. So, you know, they were different. If I wanted to make a film about you 10 years ago, hanging out with you now, you're a dad and all of that stuff, would be, be a different, Holy different, a different person. So really, I've, I wanted the actors to have the opportunity to find their own version of the characters in a way. Well, they're all fantastic. See, you know, Barry Keegan, Blake Jenner. I love Blake Jenner. There's a, a great scene in the film, the, the one in the car where he loses his mind. Love that. But Evan, Jared, the crew up is such an important piece of the heist film. Yeah. And I, I really think you nailed it with this group of guys. Were you responsible for casting them directly? Mm. Yeah. There was a time when I sent the script out and it kind of caught fire and we had the opportunity to cast probably the biggest names of that age group. Everyone wanted to be in it, everyone wanted to do it, which was great. But I felt very strongly that I didn't want super recognizable faces. You know, I wanted and I also didn't want like Hollywood pretty boys. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't want those kids who have been child actors and this, you know, they're beautiful looking but they don't really feel real. Mm-hmm. Crucial thing to me with the casting of this was that they looked like kind of like you and I you know they just looked like real ordinary people but obviously they are phenomenally good actors you know I sort of think of these four guys as sort of the new rat pack you know what you know they are I mean they're all I mean Evan Peters you know is quite well known to some people mm-hmm. he is an unbelievably good actor and he's super professional and, and their know, chemistry together I yeah. think is what and that's, that was a big part of the process of casting you know everyone, we would do auditions and then I would bring two of them together which isn't always easy you know Barry's Irish and I would bring him, brought him from Dublin and Evan from LA and we met in New York and did a kind of what you call a chemistry test just to see how they connect there was a a concern for me because Barry can play anything from sort of 16 years old to sort of 25 and Evan is in shoulder and so uh, I was worried that they wouldn't feel like they were from the same age group but then when you get them together it starts to feel yeah natural sure. and you just see wow you know that's that's kind of the magic of it very much so do you think you have any desire to move into like straight fictional yeah I think that's what I'm gonna do mm-hmm. next uh, okay. I, I mean you know again it's all about the story I mean I think this movie you watch the trailer there's no hint that it contains this other element of the non-fiction uh, I think that will be something that people will be surprised by in a good way I think it adds to your experience of it quite significantly it makes it a more deeper I mean you talked at the beginning about your podcast called Feeling Film. You know, for me, 
the really crucial, you know, there's a big difference. You know, we all watch movies and we're kind of, we're not in them. We're sort of, we're on the outside looking in. You kind of, the characters are amazing, but they're not you. Right. You know, Ocean's Eleven, most of us are not Danny Ocean. But with this, the intention is that you are deeply connected to it. You know, it's a, it is a really emotional. A couple of people after the screenings have complained to me that the movie was too suspenseful. You know, that a couple of people, you know, which as a filmmaker <laughs> is like music to my right. ears, you know what I mean? But like, you know, as in they found it to, particularly the heist itself and the build-up to that, I found it incredibly difficult to watch. I sat in the theatres watching people watching the actual movie through their fingers because it's nerve-wracking, right? And I think that a lot of the reason why it's so nerve-wracking or suspenseful is because you're way, way, way more deeper in the connection to those guys because you know it's real and they are real and it, they really did it. You are like locked in, you're in it, you're like one of the gang in a way. Absolutely. Did exactly, you feel like that? That is exactly how I felt. And that was what made it unique, was thinking, oh my gosh, this is how I feel if I was doing this. Exactly. Life. Exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, so yeah, on our podcast, we really approach movies just from like how they make us feel. So that's why I do yeah. that. And I love that. Would you mind just kind of as a last question sharing what's one movie that has really emotionally resonated with you or maybe inspired you in your filmmaking? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there was a movie I went to see as a kid. My mum took me to see it when I must have been, I'm going to say like nine or ten. And I really didn't want to go because it was like a <laughs> French movie. And this was in like the 80s, late 80s, I guess. It's called Jean de Florette. Do you know? Have you seen I do it? not. Okay, so it's a very famous French actor called Gérard Depardieu, legend. And it's a movie about a guy who moves from the city to farm in the countryside in, in France. And it is, I cannot recommend it enough. It is a, it's kind of an epic movie, but it's about him. He, he, you know, basically there's a water, there's a well on his property, but some very evil neighbors have blocked the well because they want him to leave and sell this land, which is very valuable land. So he goes through this journey. He's not really a farmer. He goes through this journey of trying to grow crops and to survive. He's moved his whole family down there. He's also got a hunchback and all the rest of it. And I remember as a kid watching that movie and just being completely... like. I think that was probably a moment where I thought, you know, I want to make films. It was like everything about it, the sound design. It's totally beautiful. It's set in one of the most beautiful parts of France, if not the world. But you come out of the movie, you're thirsty because there's no water. You feel like you've sweated blood watching him trying to do this thing. There's a sequel called Manon de Sauce as well, which is about the door. And it is like, yeah, I really recommend it. It's a, just an amazing, amazing film. But that, um, I, you know, I defy you to watch that and not feel like everything that he goes through, you're living it with him. It's really an extraordinary thing, yeah. Outstanding. Well, thank you, Bart, for no, real giving pleasure. us a chance thank to see so it. Thank you for bringing American Animals to SIF so that we got a chance to see I can't wait for it to go wide release. I think people are going to eat this up. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks so much. Okay, everybody. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Bart Layton as much as I did. And I also hope that as soon as American Animals is available near you, you seek it out if you haven't seen it already. 
it's definitely worth a watch. If you're interested in the film that Bart mentions toward the end of the interview, Jean de Florette, starring Gerard Depardieu, that movie is actually streaming currently on Amazon Prime as of the time of this recording. So it's rentable and you can check it out and maybe get all of those feels that Bart had gosh darn near 30 years ago. Thanks everybody again and let us know what you thought. Until next time, stay positive and keep feeling filled.